chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18. Last Sunday afternoon, um, I attempted to lead in a discussion. And um, my original question is, when's it appropriate to tattle? And we were following up on the question of Mordecai and, um, and his report of the Chamberlain, which resulted in inquisition and resulted in the execution of those Chamberlain who were plotting an assassination upon King Ahasuerus. Um, I said I attempted to lead the conversation because my goal had been to deal with the conversation to answer a question in here, and the conversation shifted, and it was okay that it shifted. I just didn't do a very good job shifting myself. But the conversation shifted into restoring a brother um, when the question was more so on the question of mandatory reporting. And so I didn't do a very good job shifting. So I want to point that out to start off here. And uh, the question regarding the tattling part, just to give a little brief recap, we're going to take our morning message and deal with this more broadly, bringing in scriptures from throughout the Bible to understand this. But um, just in, in recapping here, it's never appropriate to tattle. Tattle is telling to cause someone to get in trouble or to spread rumors or slander. Never appropriate to tattle, but there is accountability and there is importance of justice in civil authority and other authorities. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But since we were so eager last week to transition into the question of restoring an erring brother... In Bible Hour this morning, let's pick up there, and if we're going to have that conversation, we've got to start with our Bibles, because it starts there. The question was asked um, I, last week, um, very appropriately, Brother Vanderwerf raised the question of the, how I was dealing with it, and then I got a text later on saying, so are kids have a lower standard than adults? What's the answer to that question, yes or no? Some of you don't sound so sure. Are kids on a held to a lower standard than adults, yes or no? No, 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 they shouldn't be. God's design and instruction and lessons and principles are true for all ages. They transcend, and so it's very important for us to recognize that. And so again, we're going to come back to looking at the question, um, not so much we're not going to spend a lot of time looking at more to K.I., because also Mr. Chu was kind of right, this was a unique situation. But one of the questions, I wonder if you've discussed this as a family, in your family Bible readings is, what do you do when you hear evil plans, foolish plans, or maybe you're not sure whether they're good or bad plans? What do you do? Open-ended question, and that's an important question, and we're going to come back to that later. But since we were so eager last week to jump into the question of restoring an erring brother, Let's look at some passages on that. Matthew chapter 18, the disciples come to Jesus with a question. Verse 1, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I got that question too. You know, it seems to me that as we grow up and get older, we're all asking kind of that question, not just about in the kingdom of heaven, but in the house, in the home, in the church, in the community, all around, who's the greatest? Jesus very appropriately answers their question, for he called a little child unto him. This is, this is beautiful illustration, by the way, of the fact that children are present in the teaching of Jesus. Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. And said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whoso therefore, whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Here again illustrates the question asked earlier. Are children held to a higher or lower standard? Really, the truth of the matter is the children are at the highest standard. And there's a sense in which children exhibit a greater faith and oftentimes a greater humility than we do when we're grown up. And this really is about being as a little child who doesn't often think of themselves as anything special, but is very humble. And we need to be very humble. Jesus goes on and talks about how important it is not to offend little children. 
In fact, in verse 7, he says, woe to the world because of offenses. It's a serious matter to deal with and to offend, cause harm to a child. In fact, it's so important, Jesus says, that, that you'd be better to enter into the kingdom being halted and maimed, lame and deformed than to not enter at all or to be cast into the lake of fire, meaning that we have to deal with sin sometimes drastically. Now, he uses an illustration about plucking your eye out, cutting your hand off. Now, he's not calling for us to pluck our eyes out or to cut our hands off. If you've ever had struggle with that question, listen up. Here's the answer to it. If your eye is offending you or your hand is offending you, present it to God. Don't pluck it out. Present it to God. Give it to Jesus. And he's the one who then takes control of it. Surrender as Brother Reisner shared a few weeks ago, you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's really what Jesus is talking about here is, if your eyes giving you trouble, if your hands are giving you struggle, it is that you surrender it to God. It is as if it's not yours any longer. You give it over to God. So don't anyone ever be tempted to pluck out your eyes. That would be, in a way, striking out against the image of God. It's more so take your living body and present it to the one who can actually has the power to give you control over it. But the key passage in this, and I know we're skimming over so much that's hard to deal with, to skip, but for sake of time, look with me at Matthew 18, verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father, which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. The conversation continues with Peter asking Jesus, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. And he goes on to tell a parable of the unforgiving servant who had been forgiven by his master of a great sum, and he concludes it in the matter here. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Matthew chapter 18, to bring a scope of it all, in the early parts of the chapter, it is spoken of how serious it is to cause offense. Jesus lays this down as a foundation. That's the reason why it didn't just start in verse 15. If we just start in verse 15 and we skip the seriousness of offenses and how big of a deal it is, then we're missing the point. Jesus is establishing first and foremost that offenses shall come. But as he says in verse 7, woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. If you're one who is offending, you need to take drastic and serious steps presenting yourself to God, whole and complete. You need restored. You need to deal with this. It is very serious. But then what do you do when you find a brother? And by the way, the point of this is that Jesus makes the point in verse 11 through 14, which I just skipped over, in that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. He's like the good shepherd who when one has gone astray, he goes and he leaves in 99, he goes, he seeks that one. It's a goal of seeking that one, to seek and to save. So when we are dealing with this question, woe, beware, woe to him by whom offense comes. It's, 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 it's just because Jesus is going to end this lecture, this discussion on forgiveness, doesn't mean that the offense is some minor insignificant issue. I mean, he talks about it being so serious as people cast into the depths of the sea and being drowned for offenses. I mean, he talks about eyes being plucked out, hands being cut off, and that actually was done in some legal codes. 
serious matter, he deals with the offense. So Jesus, by about to deal with restoring and about to deal with forgiveness, does not minimize the offense. Offenses are serious business. And the people who are offending need to recognize that urgently. But when we see others offended, we need to have the same spirit as Jesus, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Our desire is not to take someone to first, first right off, cast them into the depths of the sea. Our goal is not to take them and punish them and destroy them. Our goal is to save them, just as it would be for Jesus. Now, we ultimately can't do any saving, can we? That's really a ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, as the Lord Jesus Christ fills us with his spirit, we have a ministry of reconciliation spoken of in the New Testament. And as the spirit is living in us, we can become part of this seeking those who are lost. The goal is to restore them. And that's the reason why he says in verse 15, after all of this, he says, moreover, moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he will hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take, then take thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Publican was one who was put aside as one who was as, as a tax collector and was the despised one of society because he was just the cheating, cheating, cheating guy that there ever was that they could even imagine. And it's really important. Now, this is a process. So now, how do we live this? I'm surprised of how some simple steps that Christians who have sometimes been Christians the majority of their lives we don't see this all here, and sometimes we just jump to treating someone as a heathen or a publican, or sometimes we just jump to this or that, and we miss these points. So I'd like for us this morning, kind of as we did last week, um, where I told you I failed to shift well, um, let's revisit this and looking how this happens in the family. Let's start with children. So last week, I used the illustration of candy, didn't I? So, you got a piece of candy from, oh, grandma or grandpa, or whoever you get candy from. I don't know where you get candy. And um, when I was growing up, that was about the only place you got it from, is one piece from a candy man at church, and then um, grandma and grandpa. Mom, never, mom and dad, they never got us candy as far as I can remember, at least not very often. Um, and yet, we have that sometimes in our house, right? And you know, for Christmas, one of you gave to my wife and I a box of chocolates. And um, actually, two different families gave us two different boxes of chocolate. And one box of chocolate was addressed to Pastor and Evelyn. Period. Pastor and Evelyn. <laughs> Another box was given to us that was addressed to Pastor and Family. Well, um... I actually liked more the box that said pastor and family. And so it happened to have been given to me right back there on Christmas Day, and I took that box back to my office, and I just kind of tucked it away. And I thought, Fannie Mae Pixies, turtles. Like, there's no better combination than, than nuts, caramel, and chocolate. Like, that's the perfect candy. And so I tucked it away in my office with the expectation that I would enjoy it throughout the week and that my wife and I would sneak away little snacks on Sundays or when we were together here in the office. So what did I do? Who was it that called me out on it? I don't remember. Who was it? Was it you? My eldest saw it in my office, and she said, it says family. That includes the kids. You know what? She followed and probably didn't even think of Matthew chapter 18, the principle here. Moreover, if thy dad shall trespass against thee and harbor away the chocolates that were for everyone, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. 
And um, she went a step further. She took the chocolates home. She just packed them up with all of our stuff, and they went home. You know, I actually had a hard time with this, hearing her, because when I saw them come home, I kind of said, why did these come home? These needed to stay at the church. And I was again reminded that this is and family. But I, I, I heard, but you know there's a difference between hearing and hearkening, isn't there? Hearing is that you hear. We hear stuff all the time, but we don't always do something about what we hear. And so I had heard, but I really was still kind of determined. See, I had reasons. I was still determined that these chocolates should be reserved for mommy and daddy. These are expensive. Growing up, pixies, you know how often I got a pixie? Once in a while, if you'd happen to catch mom who would get a box just like this for Christmas from her mother, and it would only be addressed to Rebecca. See, grandma knew how important they were. She limited them to just Rebecca. You might get a little cut off, a little nibble off of one if you happen to find mom privately. Now, eating her pixie. If everyone else was around, no way, because there was no way one pixie could go around 12 people. So, you know, you never would even dare to ask when they're all 12. And so growing up, it was this thing where pixies were for the grown-ups, were for like mom. And us kids like never got them. So I had these reasons in my mind that that's the family. The Ant family are the little nibbles, just like it was when I was a kid. The little nibbles. Well, guess what? Again, without realizing, I think they were following Matthew 18. I didn't just have one or two witnesses. I had one, two, three, four, five, six, really seven, plus mom witnesses against me. They all came on me and said, it says, and family. <sighs> well, these pixies came home. They sat on the kitchen counter for about five minutes when I swooped them away and had brought them up to our bedroom and hid them in the closet. So after they all confronted me, I finally hearkened. I went upstairs, and I got the box of pixies out of the closet, and I brought them down, and we opened the box and ate a whole half a box in one setting. You know, when, my, when I was a kid, it seemed like my mom saved them for all year long. When she'd eat a pixie, she'd, everybody be quiet, everybody be quiet, I have to enjoy this. <laughs> and here these children inhaled it in just a few moments. But nonetheless, I learned a lesson. It did say in family. And you know what? There's a precise exact amount number in that box <sighs> for all of the children to have two and mommy and daddy to have three. Right? I haven't negotiated that one yet. But there was a need of restore. Now, I'm beginning this here on something relatively insignificant. And I'm also dealing with something that has to do with me. Because you know, it's not always, <laughs> this is a problem we have, Oftentimes we think of it's the other people who need restored, when very often it's me. It's me. That's why Jesus, in Galatians, through his Holy Spirit, inspired Paul that said, Ye that are spiritual, restore such a one, taking heed to thyself. Before we seek any ministry of reconciliation, we must take heed to ourselves. Jesus also said, how can you help to take the speck out of your brother's eye when you got a log in your own? How do you expect to help others when you don't deal with yourself? We have to deal with ourselves. Are we the cause of offense? Or are we one who always trying to fix other people's problems when sometimes problem may actually be right back with us. And I'll tell you something. I've been convicted over this chocolate. You know, there was the other box of chocolate I didn't tell you all about. That one said to Pastor and Evelyn. And so we took that and have kept it in our bedroom. And every few nights we enjoy one. 
But you know what? Our littlest, who is still yet not able to understand, has figured out what's in that beautiful gold box. She's only, how old? She's only like, what, 18 months, 20 months? Not, not very old, little, little lady. She doesn't even talk. But boy, does she know what chocolates are. You know, we've tried to keep those away in our bedroom, and that little one keeps coming in. And I don't know how many were in that box originally, but we've, oh, just a newsflash, they're gone. They're gone. And there again now, I, huh. if this were faith, we'd have some serious business to deal with, <laughs> wouldn't we? Do you see how there is a little, there, there's a, there's not, there isn't a higher standard, there isn't a lower standard, but when it comes to some of this kind of stuff of a degree of accountability, there is. Um, of course, she didn't do it. And the littlest one who isn't even, wouldn't even be offended that we're talking about it. She wouldn't even have a concept that what she did, well, she's starting to figure it out of what was right and wrong. But at the beginning, when she did it, I don't think she had any qualms that it was wrong. The first time. The second time, I think she did. You know why? Because the wrappers were hidden and she was hiding when she was doing it. And again, she's only 20 months old. And guess what? The first time, there were no consequences, really. Real consequences. It was just a no, 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 no. Second time, there were a little bit more consequences. And then there was a third time. And yep, then there were some consequences. She knew. She knew, especially when she went to... She, the steps of her hiding it got more complicated as the time went by. That's the reason why I knew that the first time, she didn't know she was doing wrong. She had just found a treasure. It was delicious. But again, we restore. How do we restore? In this case, I have to forgive my little 18-month-old, however old she is right now. I have to forgive her, straight up. No, no ill will. And boy, Evelyn and I are going to split that chocolate. We're probably going to do it tonight. That last one left, and we're going to savor it for all the ones that aren't there. But I need to forgive her. Why would I hold aught against her? This is small. Now, what would my kids do if I didn't hear on that third time? Now I get sticky, don't I? What would my kids need to do if Daddy doesn't listen after that second time? Well, I think they all would have gone to Mom, and Mom would have sided with them. She sided with them even without even being involved. But then what would have happened if I didn't listen to mom? That gets hard, doesn't it? Now, when it's with chocolates, maybe not a big deal. Maybe just let love cover a multitude of sins. Or maybe not. Because you see, when they're the little things, and we're not faithful in the little things, are we not faithful in the big things? You know what, kids? If Daddy didn't listen then, you know what you should have done next? You all knew who gave those chocolates, right? Do you? Yep. You could have gone and talked to that person and said, hey, did these chocolates go for just Dad and Mom or for all of us? Think that would have been a good plan? I think that would have been a good plan. And let me give you a little clue. If I knew you were going to go do that, I would immediately share the chocolates. See, again, that's part of the point. It was insignificant. And even if I didn't really submit in my pride, I would have submitted. That's another problem. We don't have time to go into it today. But there is a need not just for there to be a hearing and an action, but it needs to come from here. It needs to come from here. It needs to come from here. You know, there's other things that sometimes happen in the home. What do you do about them? How do you handle it? What do you do, children, when your brother or your sister lie to you and you know it's a lie? Well, Jesus said, if your brother has trespassed against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Have that conversation. Go talk to them. Be alone. If he won't hear you, you may need to 
if it's a big enough or a significant enough issue, bring in yet another to help you to determine the matter. What about if you know that a brother or sister lied to mom or dad? So they didn't lie to you, but you know they lied to mom and dad. Well, again, you need to go to them and tell him his fault between you and him alone and say, you need to tell mom and dad the truth. You know I know the truth. You know all these people know the truth, and you're now lying to mom and dad. You tell your brother or sister, you need to go tell the truth. And what if they say no? Well, it's not tattling or being a talebearer to go and to bring mom and dad into it. Now, again, as we talked a little bit last week, if you're doing this with a great big log in your own eye, and you're doing it in a spirit of vengeance or in a spirit of, I got you in trouble, you little troublemaker, then you probably need to, not probably, you need to follow the advice of Jesus, and you need to seek the Spirit of God, because in Galatians, again, it says, ye that are spiritual, that means you have the Spirit, and you're walking in the Spirit, and the Spirit is going to be love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, these things against such there's no law. And in that Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, you do need to seek to restore them, Moms and dads, in a parenting question, I suggest to you that there are certain sins, certain crimes that you need to set up in your home as mandatory reporting. What might they be? Well, I think when it's lying to mom and dad and you know it about the lie, I think that's a good one for mom and dad to say, this is the deal. If you hear someone lying to mom and dad, you have a mandatory obligation to first, to first seek to restore them as Jesus described. But if they will not hear you, it's not something that is covered. It's not something that you cover. It's a matter of mandatory, you must report the lie to mom or dad. Lying is one of the most serious sins there is. It's a very big problem. And it's a matter that we need to begin to work and teach and deal with and hold accountable from a very young age. And this is why. It's for accountability. It's very important. Another one that you may consider, this one's kind of in our home. I say kind of because we haven't exactly laid down a law, made an official rule, but is striking. Striking. Now, we don't always use that word, but I've chosen to use that word because the Bible word. The Bible speaks of the striker, the one who is hitting people either in anger or for no good reason. You do still need to Get with your God, your good shepherd. Humble yourself. Seek to go and to restore that one. But this is a matter that I, in our home we've chosen to say, mom and dad need to be involved in it. And part of our reason is, is that to strike someone, and by the way, we exempt wrestling, we exempt playing, we exempt sword play. We're talking about the one when somebody pushed your button wrong or just for no reason, you strike out against the image of God. That's serious business in Stephen and Evelyn's opinion such that this is a mandatory reported item because justice has to be dealt and not just justice dealt, the learning and growing that you don't do this is a serious issue. Now, as my children grow and whatnot, I don't know how we may change this. But it's a serious issue, especially when an older sibling is striking a younger sibling. It's a serious matter. It's not something that should just be, oh, they're just kids. Oh, they're just this. Now, again, there still has to be an exempt for the wrestling, for the playing. I don't know what you think about roughhousing. There's a little bit of roughhousing that, you know, that, that's okay. It's okay. There's also where somebody may get hurt or bumped accidentally. And you know that's also something you have to show grace to and isn't necessarily mandatory reporting. But when there's an actual strikeout in wrath or for no reason, that's something perhaps in your home is a mandatory reporting item. Just like in society, you have no obligation to report every single time somebody breaks the law. You're driving down the highway. That guy's going a mile over the speed limit. 911, there's this guy driving a mile over the speed limit here. You need to come get him. Oh, 
they never be able to handle it. We're not supposed to report everything. That's not our jobs. We would drive the authorities wild in society. And so you guys would for moms and dads, kids. That's the reason why so many things you guys need to learn to work out together. It's what I call the Jethro principle. You work it out together. If you're not able to work it out together, then it does escalate. And that's appropriate. But it starts with seeking to work it out together on that base level. Because let me tell you, I can't handle all those problems as a dad. I mean, think about it. Sometimes mom and dads go wild because every little petty thing gets escalated to mom and dad. So kids, don't escalate every little tiny thing to mom and dad. But this is also the reason why it's important for moms and dads to tell their kids and to teach their children, what are the things that are mandatory? What do you have to report to mom and dad? And I, that's going to be different for different families. You know, if your brother or sister is rude to you or impolite to you, Work it out together as best you can, starting in the following the principles that Jesus has laid out for you. Following these principles. You always start following these principles. You always start following these principles. But if that one person will not hear and themselves confess the matter, sometimes certain things need to have mandatory reporting. Rudeness. That's something I'll, I hesitate to give illustrations because I don't want to embarrass people. But you know, it's a problem, right? Sometimes kids are just downright rude to each other. Sometimes they're downright unkind. These are things that children need to begin to seek to restore one another in a spirit of meekness. Now, moms and dads, like I said, can't handle everything. But let me encourage you to teach your children these truths, to teach reconciliation when they're little, to begin to learn these things because, newsflash, you can't handle it all. You can't judge between every little item. Create systems, strategies, plans of how they can help to resolve stuff. Sharing in our house, oh my, sharing, is that a huge one? In the early days in our family, we were communists. Don't misunderstand me. What that meant is, is that all things were common. They belonged to me and mommy, and we held absolute power and authority over everything and we would be able to establish it. We have a new problem now because our children are growing up and they're becoming quite capitalistic and also very much about personal property. And I think it's very important for children to learn personal property, caring for their own things, but also sharing their own things. Them choosing to do it, not just because mom and dad said to, but it's their own property that they have the responsibility to care for and also to share. Moms and dads, we can model that. We need to be modeling that and teaching them. And then we also need to come up with strategies, even of common property as well as personal property. Long time ago, I don't know where we got the idea, but you can find um, at different stores, you can find these little hourglasses, and they're not all an hour. They, they use them, you'll find them in places where they make tea. So your tea is brewed for one minute, two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, 30 minutes, not really 30, but anyway, you get the point. Um, they have these different hourglasses, and so we have purchased a bunch of those ideally as indestructible as possible, and our children know that if they're fighting over a common property toy, they know that if they bring that and escalate that to mom or dad, they're probably going to get in trouble because it's a matter that they have already been given the tools to resolve themselves. They already know that if they're having struggle fighting over this toy or over this thing, that the solution is easy. Go get one of those hourglasses, decide which one it's going to be, Maybe you might need some intervention on deciding which one it's going to be, but that's simple. Flip it over, you hold play with the toy for that long. Some kids will go. I got one kid who, who has trouble with sharing, and so they give up the toy, they go get the hourglass, and they flip it over, and they sit here and watch it like this. And boy, as soon as that last grain of sand is dropped through, it's my turn! There's a tool that, as mom and dad, we've given to our children to help them. You know what else also sometimes happens? Is they hand the toy over because their turn is up. They take this hourglass, and they might sit there and look at it for about five seconds sometimes, and they get distracted with another toy and go on, and you know what? They totally forgot about that toy that they were going to fight over just 30 seconds before. So here again is another way where sometimes we, as moms and dads, can help to bring conflict resolution by being creative and by giving them the tools to solve these problems themselves. 
case of how sometimes mom and dad get involved. Most toys are three to five minutes. But there's some toys, you know, like Legos or others, where it might be a day or it might be 30 minutes. That's why we have the bigger timer. You know, because you can't, you know, you can't play with Legos for five minutes and then trade them over, right? So you need to teach them how the differences between these things are. So teaching them how to deal with different things. And I'll tell you, from my experience, the hardest thing in some of this is that when a child comes to me, they've been wronged, they've tried to resolve it, not always in a spiritual way, and now they bring it to me. And I have the first thought. This is so petty. This is so petty. I don't have time for this. And I'll confess to you, sometimes I say these things out loud. I don't know that that's wise. At least not in that tone. Here again is the reason. When they're little, remember the principle, if you're faithful in the little, you'll be faithful in the great. And as parents, we have to show and help our children. They don't know it's little yet. And we have to teach them what things are little and what things are big. And we have to have patience toward all. And when it is petty, we have to determine and seek with the wisdom of God, is this petty to them when it should be? And how do we instruct them? How do we teach them? There is no easy answer. Every child is different. There's no formula. Every child. Sometimes you are going to overlook it and you're going to engage yourself in inquisition and bringing justice for that petty thing. We have to do it not with the... <clears throat> okay, fine, I'll deal with it. No. We have to do it in a spirit of meekness. That's what it says in Galatians chapter 6. A spirit of meekness. That means under control, under immense pressure. Under control in spite of immense pressure. And with meekness, we have to sometimes instruct that child that this is petty and they need to forgive it and let love cover it. Sometimes we need to practice justice and teach them the meaning of justice. There's, there's, it's, it's, it's not easy. But I encourage you to start by not getting frustrated, not getting angry, and actually seeking to see it through the eyes of the child and seek if they need restored to be restored, if they need to grow and be instructed to grow and be instructed, if they need to be rebuked to be rebuked. Or sometimes they may just need that actual justice that mom and dad can actually enact, execute. And so it's hard. But we have to come back to Matthew 18 in those times with our children and be teaching them, asking those questions. Well, did you talk to your brother about this yet? Let me give you a question to ask before that. Have you talked to Jesus about it? Oftentimes, the reason why children can't, <laughs> of all ages children, can't actually go have that conversation is because we've got a problem inside our heart where we just want to tie the millstone about their neck and cast them into the sea. When our real goal and desire needs to be, this person needs healing. This person needs restored. That's true for us big people. Imagine how true it is for little children. And we need to help to teach them. Talk to your good shepherd. Get the whatever it is in your own eye. Deal with that. Take heed to yourself. That may mean that you just need to go away quietly with your Bible in a corner and pray. You might find in that corner that love covers this sin and forget it. You may actually find that you need that time with your Jesus to calm your spirit 
to actually stop walking in the flesh and start walking in the Spirit. Because if you're going to restore your brother, if you're doing it in the flesh, newsflash, it's going to be wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking. But if you're doing it in the Spirit, it will have love, joy, peace, all of the fruits of the Spirit. And so we have to, when we've done wrong, or when we've been wronged, we have to take heed to ourselves first. We have to take and examine ourselves or allow, search me, O God, and try me. You know if there's a wicked way in me. Deal with ourselves. And then seek to go and to restore. If they will not hear, still in a spirit of meekness, not in a tattling, get them in trouble way, but in a spirit of meekness, we need to bring someone else in for little things that may be brother or sister, for bigger things that may be mom or dad, and for even bigger things that may be the police or that might be the pastor or another godly counselor or friend in the church. We have to be accountable and know that offenses are serious, offenses need to be dealt with, and we have to do it God's way, and it is with a spirit to forgive, and it is a spirit to restore, not a spirit to punish or to destroy. Last Sunday afternoon, we all finished... One of you came and shared with me a scripture from Galatians that is really amazing to me as I look at it in comparison. Could you turn with me to Galatians, Galatians chapter 6? When we speak of restoring a brother, I often look at Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Which says this, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We don't have time to keep going, but really the context has significance. I have often, when I've taught this and when I've myself sought to apply it, have looked at this phrase which says, ye which are spiritual. Now I'll tell you, sometimes the devil will say, well, that ain't you. He sure has told me that lie many a times. That ain't you. What do you do when that is brought up in your mind? Well, you first examine your own eye and find out what logs are there and take heed to thyself and deal with it. And then... What does it mean to be spiritual? It doesn't mean that you do penance. It doesn't mean that you go through all these rigorous exercises and, and, and ceremonial things. That's not what it means to be spiritual. What it means to be spiritual is to be filled with the Spirit of God, to be walking in the Spirit, to be yielded to Him, to let Jesus have His way, to let the Spirit of God control your spirit, and all your words and actions. That's what it means to be spiritual. And it's about restoring. Now last week, someone, I've always taken and looked at this and bounced back to chapter five because that's where the fruits of the Spirit are. In my Bible, it's perfect. It's right at the top of the page. Chapter six here, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. And oh, ye that are spiritual, bump. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Right here's the fruit of the Spirit. And then I look across the page here, and i got this little divider in the middle of my chapter that says, This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And I've always backed this up, either to the beginning of the book, you know me, or to here, verse 16. But I was smitten last week when somebody said, Look at verse 14 and 15. And I realized, yes, that's the introduction to all of this. The introduction is... The introduction here is, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, one saying, one truth, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then look, verse 15, but if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. You see, the one who is not walking in the Spirit, when he seeks to restore do you know what it really is? Biting and devouring and consuming one another. Now for a moment, jump back to the last conflict you saw in your home. 
Was it biting, devouring, consuming one another? Or was it loving thy neighbor as thyself? Your family is your closest neighbor. Did you know that? Loving your neighbor as thyself. And was there restoring in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted? One of the best memories I have of growing up is... it's a conflicted best memory, (laughs) is when there would be times of conflict. When there was, in our family, we weren't a bunch, we were mostly boys, we didn't bite and pull hair. Okay, I hear girls do that, but I don't even know if that's a stereotype that's wrong too, I don't know. You know, this isn't talking about actually, sometimes they do physically, actually, literally bite. It's speaking of how the words and the actions bite and devour. There's times in which I can remember young when kids, us kids, would be, not literally, but figuratively, biting and devouring one another, consuming one another. And the best lesson I ever learned growing up was not taught by instruction. It was taught by example. Repeated occasions, and I've mentioned this before, and my dad has no recollection of it, but I can remember distinctly multiple times when dad would raise his hands and he'd say, stop. We need to stop everything right now, and we need to pray, and we need to invite the Holy Spirit to join us in this room. Sometimes that was in the van. That's, you know, sometimes where you're close to your neighbor. You know, you have no choice but to stay by the neighbor. Just go. Oh, and that you go, is that biting and devouring builds. Guess what happens? The Holy Spirit gets kicked out. Now, we know that the true believer can't really kick the Spirit out. He can only quench them and grieve them. And I can remember so many times so very vividly, explicitly, where dad would raise his hands and say, stop, let's pray and invite the Holy Spirit to join us in this room. He was practicing what this is right here. Ye that are spiritual, restore such a one. I can recall no exceptions but when the power of the Spirit overruled every selfish desire in that room or that van. Something that dad couldn't do, something that individually we couldn't do. Only the Spirit of God could do it. And that is where we have to be. We have to be looking to the Spirit of God day by day, and when we see the works of the flesh, when we see the biting and the devouring and the consuming one another, look to Jesus. Invite him to join you. Ye that are spiritual, that's what it means to be walking in the Spirit. For right after it says here, verse 15, but if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Instead, verse 22, you'll have the fruits of the Spirit. And you notice this all comes before the Apostle Paul writes, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. In the spirit of meekness, which is one of the fruits of the Spirit, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. This we need. And to answer the text I received last Sunday afternoon, no, the standard is not different for big people and little people. We all have access to the Spirit of God. We all have His power. Do we walk in it? Do we live in it? Both when we are the offender and need to get right, and we are the one who is restoring and need to take heed to ourselves.
The one who's offending really, really can't solve their problem without the same, same need of the Spirit of God to help them. That's why it's so important that if you're going to restore them, you start with the Spirit of God. Because the source of power is the same for the restoration as it is for the healing and repentance and growth. It all has to be the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you have given to us to help us in the ministry of reconciliation. We thank you also for your spirit that gives us the power to live soberly, righteously, and godly. We need you in these things. Glorify yourself, we pray. Give us wisdom. Give us wisdom as moms and dads, as children, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, the difficulties of knowing how to respond in the petty and in the huge. Give us meekness, which means give us your spirit. And we know you've already given him. So may we walk in your spirit. May we walk in your spirit. May we be filled with your spirit and obey the command to walk and obey the command to be filled and obey the command to quench him not. We need your spirit. And dear Heavenly Father, we pray for our little children who don't yet have your spirit. May we, may we always be directing them to you, showing them their need for you, Jesus, and their need to be filled with your spirit. May they see your spirit in our lives working, bringing forth fruit, that they may desire to be a Christian, to have the spirit of Christ living inside of them, Lord, help us to always be faithful in proclaiming your truth. Help us to be humble when we fail. May we accept responsibility, accountability. And Lord Jesus, may you be glorified in our lives. We need you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.